0: Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
2: All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. It is August 11th and South Carolina's preseason Camp was supposed to be underway. That's been pushed back to August 17th, and the entire season is just in jeopardy right now. And it's, it's incredible how much things change day to day, week to week, hour to hour, it seems. But this time last week, we were all just sitting around wondering when the SEC was going to release its schedule. Are they going to do it Tuesday? No. Wednesday, no. Thursday, no. Friday, didn't look like it. And then early Friday evening, late in the afternoon, they released it. And I thought, wow, you know what? I'm glad that we got it, but that's kind of weird to release it on a Friday. No matter, there won't be anything else to talk about on Monday, so we can have some fun with that next week. And then everything else changed. The Big Ten, I think it's either their athletic directors or presidents are in a meeting. As we're recording this, it is 10.39 on Tuesday morning right now. They're in a meeting trying to decide if the Big Ten's going to play football in the fall. And as of yesterday, it seemed like there was a lot of pessimism or at least uncertainty Seems like the Pac-12 might follow suit if the Big Ten does as well, while the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 just kind of stand pat. So, guys, uh, like I said, a lot has happened since last Tuesday. A lot has changed, and we will get to the schedule for South Carolina and what exactly that means, playing Ole Miss and Auburn, which was a little bit different than I think some people expected. And I still can't figure out exactly how the SEC arrived at their scheduling format. But we have to start with just the uncertain nature of college football. And I'll start with US. Because I like the tweet that you sent out Monday morning when it, it seemed like a virtual certainty that the Big Ten was canceling. And they still might, although I, I think with a little bit of time and a little bit of space, there is a, a greater sense that maybe they will delay this. Maybe they'll put it off in an attempt to gather more information. But as of like the end of last week, it was Thursday or Friday, they put out a schedule. And then by Sunday evening, the whole season was over. I didn't know what changed. Were you able to glean anything in the last couple days in terms of what changed from the Big Ten's perspective?
1: Well, I I think, honestly, um, you know, and I I think people interpreted my tweet several different ways based on my reactions, which is, um, I guess, par for the course for for Twitter. But, um, you know, I I think, first of all, I was kind of, you know, being a smart aleck in that, there no, nothing with the virus changed in 4 days like let's be honest um we all know things can change quickly with this thing you know we all know there can be an outbreak um you know you could have a perfectly good plan and then start the season and then it spread way faster than anybody hoped or anticipated and then have to shut the thing down and i think we have to accept that would be a possibility but uh, the fact of the matter is, nothing with the actual virus changed in that three to four days. When you went from very much hyping up a schedule and doing these schedule releases and all this stuff to, oh yeah, we're going to shut the thing down. So, my my first point was that you know, let's let's try to figure out a plan and stop. Just I, I had uh, someone in, you know close to a, a player reach out to me, and it was just you know, man, these kids are just getting yanked around. Like I know things can shift, but nothing shifted. So if we're going to shut the thing down, just shut it down and let the kids, you know, deal with that reality. Or let's come up with a plan and let's try to work the plan to the best of our ability and see if we can play. And uh, just the constant back and forth, the, uh, you know, the roller coaster, the ebbs and flows is just tiring for everybody. It's mentally taxing. It's exhausting. Um, and that's just coming at it from our perspective. I can't imagine working my tail off literally 11 months out of the year just to get to play 12 to 14 games and then just having it yo-yoed in front of me, man. Like it's got to be mentally exhausting. So that that was part of my point. You know, I, I would say answer certainly I would say lies in the word liability. Um, nothing has really changed with the – virus in those few days so I do know that one of the demands I guess from the the thing sent out by some of the Big Ten players was they don't want to sign away COVID um, you know liability forms basically Um, so does does that play a a part in it potentially and I think ultimately if you're going to play then the players probably are going to have to sign those forms where they're uh, you know Waving liability, you know, to the schools as far as all this goes. So, But has anything really changed? Um, I would say not a whole lot in, in that time frame. And um, I do know, uh, and Chris, you may have something to weigh in on here, but um, reading Ross Dellinger with SI, who I think, um, just to give credit where it's due, has been phenomenal with following this thing. Um, I've plugged him a couple times. He says there's some – medical report coming out as well about everything that the Pac-12 has had um, access to that involves the dangers of, of COVID or the dangers of playing and, and stuff like that. So uh, maybe that becomes a, a factor in this in the next couple of days as well. But um, I, I don't know necessarily if that was in the conversation with the Big Ten during that four-day span or not.
2: We make a lot of good points there, you know, especially about liability, and that is such an issue. But the the reason, and I guess sort of my interpretation of the tweet, I don't know if this is how you meant it, and and so maybe I'm I'm part of the problem here. But it, I just I thought it was, you know, if basically the only thing that happened over the weekend that that would have the only thing that seemed like a catalytic event from the weekend was the Mac deciding that they were going to postpone their football, and it just seems weird that the Mac is going to be pushing the Big Ten around. And I didn't really have any other answers because yes, like. Liability is a serious consideration, and maybe it was this medical report that you mentioned. And Chris may actually have a little bit more on this um, that we'll get to in just a second. But uh, but by and large, it's like that liability has existed. You know, it's existed for months. That that's what these commissioners and athletic directors and school presidents have been meeting for the last five months, trying to weigh and determine is the liability. And I didn't see anything that happened this weekend that would have overly changed. That liability. So why they felt comfortable releasing a schedule on Friday and then Monday they were canceling the season. Like I didn't think anything happened over the weekend that would have affected the liability or affected their plans from a liability perspective.
1: No, point point being that in the the Big Ten, they released their schedule earlier in the week. It was on the 5th. Um, Point being that since the day that they put that out or later in the day that they put out the schedule was when the Big Ten joined in on – the Big Ten players joined in on this idea of here are our demands to play from the players. And one of those demands was that they did not want to have to sign the COVID liability waiver, um, which was after the schedule was initially put out. So my my point being I, – I, I think a greater point and, – and it was a very open-ended tweet because I – you know – in my mind, I'm saying nothing has really changed. But then it was pointed out to me that 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 was one thing of interest that did change after they put out the schedule. Which, if that's the case, and it sort of does drive home the point, I don't think I don't think any decisions are necessarily, at least as far as that goes, about the actual safety of the players, which is what it's being presented as. I think it's more about we're going to. Uh, absolve ourselves from being blamed if something goes wrong with the safety of the players as opposed to the actual literal we're worried about the safety of the players I think
2: and that's a good distinction as well uh, Chris you said you have a, a little bit that you heard from the Pac-12 conference calls zoom meeting whatever way that they have communicated recently uh, just in terms of them being a conference that people are expecting to follow suit with whatever the Big Ten does. So while not maybe necessarily leading the charge on this, they are you know in the mix just as much. And and that would be you know if the Big Ten does cancel the fall season, that would be huge. But if the Pac-12 follows follows suit, I mean that becomes just. I mean that that, that that's an incredible domino. So what did you learn about the conversations that are being had internally in the Pac-12? It's
3: similar to what Wes mentioned earlier with Ross Dellinger and, and the medical stuff. And so here's one thing that. I, won't, I don't know that it's changed or how new the information is, but there and this has been talked about a little bit already, but some of the stuff that's been coming out about heart damage, myocarditis, uh, which I had to ask my wife for a definition of that, because um, she's smarter than I am. But she, you know some of that stuff that's coming out is a new concern for people for uh, I would say three different reasons. All right, And the first is actual player safety. All right. We've seen a couple instances of some players that um, have said that they have had some heart issues since contracting COVID. So that's alarming to college football officials. Number two is what Wes mentioned, liability. So now you not only have COVID or um, the possibility of having a bunch of players hospitalized. I know that the numbers don't say that a lot of guys get hospitalized. I'm just saying if that happens, that's something that you have to think about um, or that they are thinking about. Um, the, the possibility of losing a player. Well, now you don't just have the actual virus; you have sort of okay. Is the long-term damage all right? So the liability of that, you're you're far more um, exposed with that now. That that's you know another element to all this. Um, so they're they're very concerned about that. Um, and so during my my understanding is that this has been. Oh, the third reason is the cost, and I'll go into that in a minute, but. The the heart issue has has begun to be discussed a lot more, and my understanding is that it came up a lot in these Pac-12 conversations and has come up in Big Ten conversations and really with everyone. Um, There are medical people, per my understanding, who are saying that it's not safe to play right now. Um, And one of the reasons is tied to this heart issue. Again, you've got liability, you've got player safety, um, and then you've got the fact that when you start testing for these issues, you know, we've, we've already heard a lot guys about testing for COVID. Some schools have said, we don't have the money for this guys. I mean, the sec is going to test three times a week if we go through with the season. Well, now you got to start testing players for heart issues. And from my understanding, it's up in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that schools have already spent on this. So that's another, you know, consideration to to throw out there with all this. Now, a point that some people have raised, I just want to make generally, if I can, is that some of the coaches around college football are looking at it and they're saying, okay, so maybe we don't play our conference may shut down football, but we're still going to be allowed to train. We're still going to be allowed to run and we're still going to be releasing our students out into the population so really the only difference is we're not playing the actual games maybe we're not having practice um but kids can go home they can go on campus at large presumably they may not have as much motivation you know to to, to not go out and do things that could make them more exposed to the virus so they're looking at it going you know we understand all these issues with playing But the same issues are there if we don't play potentially, or maybe even more. And so that's what we're seeing with sort of some of this push-pull between players and coaches and administrators. It's just an extremely complex issue. And I think, you know, as for – you know, Wes posed the great question of of what has changed. And it's just – you know, you look back in the spring, the NCAA, Mark Emmert gave an interview on a Wednesday back in March – And said, you know, we can't have fans at the championships for the spring sports, but we still want to have them. It's it's paramount for the student athletes. The next day they canceled them. You know, and so these things that for whatever reason, there is some precedent that sometimes they they change quickly. And there is a school with all that basically what some of the conferences are doing by delaying the season was to punt. Um, and that's sort of what the SEC did. And I, I think that was a good move by them to go ahead and say, we're moving this thing back to September 26. You know, you guys will remember that I mean we reported on Gamecock Central in mid-July that people were very worried about the prospect of having the season, that it was down on its last legs, and that the only hope for the season was a delayed start and a conference-only season. And that's sort of where we are. So from that standpoint, honestly, nothing's changed. I think – public perception changed a little bit and that the conferences came out and said, this is our plan, et cetera. And so that I think created, I don't know, maybe a little bit of an illusion that we're moving forward. And I, you know, I was guilty of that too. I said, okay, well they must, it looks like we're steamrolling towards a football season if they're making all these preparations. But really, I, I don't know if that was handled the right way. Um, I think the SEC, and I've been hard on Greg Sankey in the past, but I do think pushing pushing things back to sort of punt and buy a little bit more time, see if things do go down, see if you're in a better spot, and not absolutely rush to a decision. Maybe that's the best play here. Sorry that was so long-winded, but there's there's a lot. No, yeah, that, lot that's good. And <laughs>
2: I, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't think I'll be able to like go back over each one of those things because I want to follow up on, on pretty much all of them. But one that is really interesting, because we've heard this a lot, and I am generally, I guess, sympathetic to this line of reasoning, and I think it's okay. But as uh, as, as you demonstrated, Wes, with your first answer, I, I really appreciate y'all's perspective for a lot of reasons. Y'all do a lot of reporting. Y'all have been around for a long time, and y'all maybe more than most people that do this are, uh, I guess, really a, a like a voice of the players, like as clo- or closer to a voice of the players. Than we get from most talking heads, you know, like myself, just because y'all have those relationships. Because these are guys that you, you know, by and large have followed and known since they were high schoolers. So you can speak to their experience uh, a little bit more. And that part of it is is really interesting to me. Because we've, we've heard the players come out and be very outspoken about wanting to play. And Trevor Lawrence saying in a great Twitter thread this weekend, I think that was Sunday evening, you know, we're actually probably safer playing football. Now, I'm sitting here as someone that hopes... For a lot of different reasons, that the football season happens and can happen and can happen safely. But Wes, is it just the rhetoric of people that want football to happen, or is it actually the reality? Again, I- I'm trusting that you're taking the players' best interest at heart and not just being, you know, a-, a greedy sports fan like me. Is it true that it's actually probably safer for the players to be within these football programs?
1: I mean, I I tend to think so. Um, obviously, we're all just sort of gathering information and and using it to form an opinion. So um, you know, you could probably make a case on either side. But it uh, you know, is it? How about you know? Is it is it any safer to not play football? Um, you know, uh, would would maybe be the question. And uh, you know, I, I tend to think that there's a, there's another aspect of this because we sort of get, we get with with these conversations a lot of times these days, it seems like it becomes very, very black and white where people are on one side or the other as opposed to trying to find, um, you know, the, the middle ground of, of things. And I, I think, okay, so so let's take football away. And, you know, there's the argument out there about players that, you know, are, are the players going to then be, go home? Are they going to be sent home? Which, um, you know, for the most part, it seems like we're starting to learn that, that no, they will not be sent home. Now, I had been told previously that a lot of the players were online only for this for their own safety so that they don't have to go into the student body, go to class. They can be online only. They can be in their little bubble. And then if you're not playing football, then if you're online only, are you still staying in your dorm at South Carolina, or at that point, are you going home? Are they encouraging regular students or online only to go home? I believe they are. So, um, again, there's a lot to take in here, but my point that I'm trying to get to is if you now take away the season from these guys and take away the incentive of the season, then if we're just literally talking about the safety of this group of football players, where, you know What happens when the incentive of not going out into the student body population and not going out um, you know, to parties and enjoying the college life, what happens when, when that goes away? Um, so, and that's not even to mention the fact that football is inherently not a very safe game itself. You, you can get hurt in any given moment. Playing the game of football we see it every single game every single practice so um you know it's a very i would say nuanced and difficult conversation and I, I think sometimes people on one side of this conversation get it in their minds this whole idea of well the universities are using these players to make all this money and now they want to just send them back out there to make more money even though they're in the middle of a pandemic well, we sometimes get so far onto that part of the conversation that we forget most of these dudes are playing football because they love to play football. Like, you aren't, you aren't spending the amount of time that these guys put into being able to play those 10-plus games a year is honestly, I would say, unfathomable for somebody who's never done it, myself included. But if you just read what these guys do on a daily basis, in the offseason even, just to be able to play the game, you don't do that unless you love it. And I I think you – and not to speak for every single player. That's not what I'm trying to do. But there is a large percentage of players who are in that building right now who want to play. So I think much much like we can't – we can't really assume to talk for the – you know, people tell you you can't speak for the players as far as uh, assuming that they have to play and that we we want them to play for our own entertainment. We also shouldn't sit here and assume that they don't want to play because they. we've now seen a ton of these guys come out and say they absolutely want to play. So if the virus is still there and, you know – I find myself agreeing with Trevor Lawrence and now Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> if hmm. if the virus is still there, it's not going away by not playing football. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it is it similar or is it is it the same amount of risk to play football versus not playing football? You know, I I, I don't have that answer, but it certainly seems. You know, just canceling football isn't going to be like, oh, man, these guys are immune from the virus now. Yeah, that, that's, no that's not the vaccine getting. that
2: we've all been looking for. It, it's it, like I, I get it in terms of like the, you know, maybe you're creating super spreaders and like that level of contact. But if you have these bubbles and look, not everyone, not everywhere has reported, but even the places that haven't reported reported, you know, we've gotten, you know, little leaks here and there. But it seems like by and large, just like the NBA, just like the NHL, the bubble is working. We're seeing You know, big programs all across the country that are reporting saying, Oh, you know, it's it's been a month since we've had a positive COVID nineteen test, or, you know, we've had one or two, and as soon as that happens, the protocols kick in, the guys get quarantined, they're, you know, sequestered for ten days or fourteen days or whatever it is, and then they, they get back with the team and you know, for some of them I guess it's probably a little tougher to come back. But by and large, they're doing a good job because they're testing three times a week, which is not gonna happen in public because I haven't been tested. I, I don't like have any plans in the immediate future to get tested. The only people that I know that have been tested are people that ended up having it, my friend Kelly and my friend Thomas. Um it's uh it's
1: it, I've been tested. Uh, uh,
2: huh? It's, You've been tested? I've been tested. Yeah. Yeah, but you're not didn't getting tested 3 times a week for you know the rest of the season. So it's wait, you said yeah. you had it? No, I said I didn't have it. Oh, okay. All right, that's good. Yeah, cuz I've heard it's yeah. uh, I've heard it's not fun. But all that to say The players, like, I I do buy into the sort of, you know, I guess just sort of like maintaining the integrity of the bubble. Um, And the other part of this, Chris, to Wes's point, if the players want to play, like, shouldn't that basically be the end of the story for the liability? Because Trevor Lawrence, if you ask him to sign whatever waiver the Big Ten put in front of their players, sounds like he's going to sign it. Same with Justin Fields. Um, who was also part of this we-want-to-play coalition that formed over the weekend. Same with Chuba Hubbard. These are high-profile guys. I'm sure a bunch of guys are going to want to opt out. We've already seen a couple guys at South Carolina, plenty of other guys all across the country, and it seems like, by and large, they're being supported by their schools, by their conferences. The NCAA has made requirements now for, I guess, any schools that were holding out that they still will be on scholarship. They will still get to go to classes. They'll still get to get that education. And I'm guessing, even though I guess the NCAA hasn't made a final uh, call on this, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to get to the point sooner rather than later where you maintain your eligibility. So if that's the case, you know, just give the players the waiver, and it sounds like most of them, you know, if if t- if five or ten guys on your team decide it's not worth it, that's you know what, that's that's a bummer, and, but they're going to come back, and it's going to be fine. You know, that that minority of players across the country should not be deciding the fate of college football for everybody else, especially the players that do want to play.
3: Yeah, so I think, and I'm not saying I agree with this even, but because uh, that's another thing, sidebar, nowadays if you report on something that's being said behind the scenes like a reasoning for college football proceeding or not proceeding or whatever, now that means you automatically agree with it and you're like pushing that agenda. So, important distinction because there's been so much discussion of that recently it's sort of disheartening but anyway you know here's the thing about like the waiver so there's always going to be a question of the waiver you know is legally could it hold up et cetera, or is some player going to come back later and say, well I feel like I had to sign the waiver you know or, or there's just all these different I, that's a complex issue in and of itself I think what the schools are looking at from what I've heard I mean, they're looking at short term liability. They're looking at the fact of, hey, you know, if we lose a player, which would be devastating, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's related to COVID or, you know, a workout situation or some illness or an accident, whatever. I mean, obviously, it's horrific when a school loses a player or a student who's just out in the population or whatever. But they're looking at that. And they're also they they are looking at the liability because they're big institutions, both short and long term. And I so I think because this is also new, um, it's way newer even than like CTE, for example. So you know, or concussions, way way newer, and we know way way less about it. And we're still learning about those other things that have been around for a long time. And so I think schools are looking at the long game too and saying, okay, what happens in ten years or twenty years? And and they're scared of that unknown from a liability standpoint or a health standpoint. I mean, how much should things change if you know we have this set of data now? Well, what if what if in ten years, and I have no idea if this is gonna happen, what if in ten years we find out every single person who contracts COVID ends up having some type of issue? Well, that'll change <laughs> how people feel about waivers, et cetera. So I don't know if any of that'll happen, but schools as as big institutions with a lot of exposure, have to think about these things, you know. And so I think that's played into it. Um, And they're also thinking about, to be quite honest, in 2020, they're thinking about even in the short term, you know, if something happens to a player, they're thinking about how a lot of people, whether it's legal or not legal, whether it's just a perception thing, you know, people losing jobs. People saying, well, they signed off on playing and this and that happened to the players. These guys have got to go or they are going to get sued now. I mean, there's just a lot of things. And so you do understand if you put themselves, put yourself in their shoes, you understand why they think about those things. But that doesn't mean that's the right answer either to just eliminate football because as Wes has been laying out, it's an extremely complex issue. And I think what we've been trying to get across to people like in passing our opinion or reporting this thing there's not a, a, a perfect scenario. There's there's literally not. And so you sort there's of have a to ton of bad options. Yeah, yeah. It's just here's this bad option. Here's maybe a worse one or whatever. I mean, nothing's normal. And so, you know, you have to take those things and you have to take them under consideration. Then you have to make a call and you have to understand that one way or another, it's going to be bad. And if they green light the season, they're going to get absolutely blasted and and being called out, oh, this is unsafe, this is horrible. They're going to have doctors and epidemiologists all over them. But guess what? If they don't green light the season, then they're going to have some doctors, some epidemiologists, some psychologists, some coaches. I mean, they're, they're either way, you know, you sort of darned if you do, darned if you don't from that perspective. Mm. And because it's so new, you just don't know the short or the long term on it.
2: Mm. Yeah. I mean, just, just two bad options, um, I, I guess – for most of you listening to this podcast, I guess you're probably a South Carolina fan or at least an SEC fan, and it seems like regardless of what the—well, maybe not completely regardless of what the Big Ten does, but whatever the Big Ten's decision today is will not be the sole influencing factor for the SEC. I guess we'll go there now, Wes, uh, just in the interest of uh, of moving on, because I know we could just talk about this and speculate for you know probably a couple hours, but— do you get the feeling, and I don't know if you've had any of these conversations specifically or you know, just based on your general feel of the situation, but do you feel like a season of just SEC or maybe SEC and ACC football while the other conferences move their season to the spring is realistic, or do you think this will end up being an all-or-nothing kind of issue?
1: I I really don't know. I, I mean, I I personally have a hard time seeing – the SEC playing alone. basically if if all if all four of the other power fives can't go the route of canceling which right now you know it does seem like the ACC much like the SEC is trying to move forward um, I, I can't see the SEC just standing alone because then you really do I think even if there are waivers you sort of open yourself up to um, well hey every single other conference, decided that the right thing to do is to cancel and you just marched forward. So that creates a pretty compelling argument against you. Um, now, you know, it, it seems like reading some of the national, uh, I guess, reporting that's out there is that the big 12 is sort of the kind of the, the domino in, in the middle of all of this and that you have big 10, obviously leaning heavily towards canceling. It seems Pac 12 leaning that well, that way, as well, plus Pac-12, a lot of their states still have um, mandates in place where I don't even know if they could play a season right now if they wanted to. But um, the Big 12 is sort of right in the middle of all this. So you sort of get the – if the Big 12 moves forward, then now you have three conferences that are saying, hey, we're we're trying to move forward with a season. Uh, let's try to do this. And I, I think you have a little bit more of a uh, – you know, foundation there to to stand on. I will say to Chris's point earlier, um, as much as he and I both have sort of um, disagreed with Greg Sankey in a lot of other aspects previously, I think the way he has handled the pandemic and as far as like taking a deliberate measured approach to trying to have a season – I think has been very welcomed. I think, you know, his quote today on Dan Patrick was, uh, our medical advisory group has said, yes, we can continue to go forward. Should that advice change, that would certainly be a stopping point. Went on to say, we're still here. We're going to keep working to see if we can move it along. What has been told to me by young men on our teams is that they want an opportunity. So I think no, no one can sit here right now and say, we're going to have a college football season, we're going to have an SEC season, whatever. But I I think the SEC has, you know, under Sankey's leadership here, has taken, I would say, a a best approach in that they've said, this is how we're going to do it. This is a plan. We may have to make some adjustments along the way, but at least he can tell his players, the ones that do want to play, Mm -hmm. we're doing everything we can to give you the opportunity, that's the word he used as well, to actually get to play. And I I think, man, I think if you're going to play – I think yes, the waivers are probably liability waivers being signed is probably a part of it. But I think you have to double back down and completely reiterate to to every single player and say, here's one, here's another opportunity for you to opt out. Here's another. If you have any doubts at all, you do not have to play, Mm -hmm.
2: and ever. You know, if it's week seven and you decide, hey, hey, wait a second, I don't. You know, you have to. I think you have to leave that door open. Uh, Again, again, the key to this whole thing is, and I think always has been, flexibility. Um, And you know, Wes, I I think initially I I was critical of the SEC's decision to push the season back because I thought doing what Oklahoma's doing and actually moving it up and giving yourself more flexibility and more room to, if you need to shut things down for two weeks in the middle of the season, still get all the games in, but... Like you're saying, I think the SEC's approach, and I guess Greg Sankey as just sort of the, the point man on that, has has borne out to be the correct approach in terms of you know not even not necessarily prioritizing, uh, I guess just like gathering information and taking time over flexibility, but just you know a- allowing for a wait and see approach. Um, and again, that that may all blow up, and this may all end up being a moot point. But right now, wh- where when it seems like the Big Ten and possibly the Pac-12 are facing. Crises. The SEC, you know, still has, I mean, basically two months or a month and a half to figure this out. And we saw how much could change in four days. Think about how much more could change for worse, but, uh, you know, hopefully for better in the next month and a half. So, Chris, I'll, I'll throw it to you and ask if the Big Ten and Pac 12 do cancel, not will the SEC continue, but should the SEC continue? Would you like to see that? Or just, you know, personally, as a fan, as someone that enjoys college football, would you like to see everybody playing? At the same time.
3: So, are you asking what I, would I be in favor of? Just to clarify, would I be in favor of having like two or three conferences play, or do I want them all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Is like when saying? when
2: yeah. when later this yeah. week, you know, Greg Sankey and, and Larry Scott and Kevin Warren and they all call you and say, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Are you gonna say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Y'all can have two different seasons, or are you gonna say, ah, it's not really college football if you don't have, you know all these games kind of happening at the same time and, and all these teams competing for the same championship, which I guess wouldn't be the case if, if there is indeed a playoff <laughs> and uh, and if indeed they no, play it in different seasons.
3: I mean, if there were, honestly, if there were like eight teams and they just played round robin for a season, I would watch that. You know, so, I mean, I, that doesn't matter to me. I think, you know, it's still, some people still are of the belief that it's going to be an all-or-none approach in college football, meaning if one big conference does definitely cancel, that the others will follow suit for a variety of reasons. Will that definitely happen? I couldn't say, but I can tell you that some people pretty high up in college football who are really involved with it think that. So we'll see. Um, but, you know, to to answer the question, I, I'd be in favor. I mean, if if they deem that we're doing this, I mean, I'm I'm all for it as long as the players and coaches and everybody are good with it, everybody understands, you know, I would love to see college football. Of course I want college football to come back and whatever iteration it has to be in, in order to do that, then that, then that's great. You know, I I don't have, if it's two conferences, three conferences, one conference, you know, if that's the decision they make, then I'll be tuned in every week and it doesn't really matter who's playing, you know,
2: that's kind of how I feel. And again, I, I think one of the benefits of going to the conference only schedule and if it is the SEC and the ACC, then we can still have this conversation and make this argument and complain about this. But the conference-only schedule does sort of insulate you from anything like this happening. And I imagine the SEC kind of kind of had an idea that this might be the case. And so, like I said, you're you're a little bit insulated from it. Um, West, Chris, do y'all have anything else on this? Because I, I kind of want to use that to transition into the football that is actually still happening in the SEC. Um, again, it's sort of a, a modified practice schedule, but. Um, like I said, we could talk about this for hours and hours, so if there's anything else pertinent that you wanted to mention with regards to the Big Ten's pending decision, what the Pac-12 might do, how the SEC might be thinking about it, and, and sort of, I, I don't know, any other helpful ways for people to, to think about it and approach it, because this is going to end up being one of the most bizarre and, I think, pivotal weeks in like the history of college football, at least since I've been alive.
3: Yeah, I mean, this. It's going to be a huge week, and I think the ebbs and flows I mean we knew going into this week could be fascinating, and I think as the the hours have ticked by, it's become even more so right because there's been so many you know it's like the big ten are they in are they out? then you got nebraska well we're we're playing regardless, then we got well the NCAA, can they step in at all? can they do anything? will they i mean there's just so many factors at play will the players' voices that have stepped up will that weigh into it? will it not? Um, how will presidents vote? You know, how how much will they weigh the medical opinions and not? Will there be a split? I mean, there are just a thousand questions. We we have – some. Wes has said a lot. We have way more questions than answers. And I think that's going to be the case until somebody or everybody finally says, this is what we are doing and we are doing it, you know. And and I think it will be a little bit closer to when it's time to kick the ball off, you know, until we know that. but But we may – there's a lot of key meetings this week. And so we may learn more. Maybe it's just somebody comes out and says, we're punting for a little while longer and we'll see what happens. Um, But definitely a fascinating time. But beyond that, I don't know if I really have much more to add. I think we unpacked a good bit there.
2: All right, Wes, uh, we'll have another update next week. So uh, you'll have to hold your peace until then, unless you have anything else. No, I'm good, good? man. All right, good. Um, All right. So with that, like I said, things in the SEC are still operating as normal. As you mentioned, Wes, Greg Sankey on Dan Patrick this morning, you know, still going forward with the season as planned. Now, with a pushed back start date of September 26th, South Carolina's preseason camp got pushed back from August 7th to August 17th. Uh, can y'all help? Because y'all know I'm bad with dates. This is always a problem in my history classes, it will continue to be a problem for my entire life. Uh, but, Wes, what is the new preseason schedule for South Carolina? look like uh since preseason was supposed to start on friday
1: yeah so and and i really haven't put a lot of effort into trying to find out exactly what they're doing right now but my uh my understanding is is basically you know the reason you push it back a little bit is that you couldn't and this is something i was listening to to you and uh, kimry talk about it on on y'all show you can't just have the guys beat on each other for, for what, I think it would have been seven weeks or something of, of camp. So I, I think what this basically did was they dial back a little bit on what they've been doing and just sort of continue this kind of transition period uh, where they, you know, they can still work out. They can still meet with each other. Um, I think you said that they dialed it back to 14 hours a week. It was 20. Um, I'm assuming you're correct in that. And um uh, you know, th- this just offers a- another sort of opportunity to to ease into actual camp. And, you know, we-, we had talked about would this sort of mini camp thing that they, they had for-, for two weeks there uh, be something that the coaches would want to implement in the future? And, uh, you know, we had even sort of guessed that a lot of the coaches were going to love this. And then Muschamp came out and said on-, on last Wednesday on his conference call on Zoom that, uh he he was a fan of it, so I think we're seeing a more, I would say, NFL style approach to, to ramping up towards the season, and um, I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense and is something that we we probably will see more of in, in the future. Now that the coaches and players have sort of seen how it works,
2: Chris. Obviously, nothing about this is ideal, but if we just look at the football and say for. X reason. Let's say we had this conversation in February. For whatever reason, for whatever unknown reason, South Carolina is going to get an extra month to install their offense, to practice, to have meetings, walkthroughs. This is, I mean, this is a a good thing from a football perspective for for Carolina to get uh, this extra practice time. But does this now kind of eliminate any sort of? Oh well, you know, they're installing a new offense, so you know it's always going to take a little bit of time. Is this now? Is this offense now going to expect it to be like? Fully installed and ready to go by the beginning of the season with all this extra time?
3: I mean, yeah, it, it'd be a little different than, say, if South Carolina just had to do regular, you know, whatever regular preseason camp is, just your typical sort of month, and and they had 10 of 15 spring practices eliminated. If that was the case, it'd be a little bit different. They do have some extra time. It's still not optimal. And, he, and look, man, even if they went through – a completely normal year, spring football, summer workouts, preseason camp, just typical calendar, then you're still in year one of an offense. You've still never, you know, taken a a snap of the offense in a game unless you're Colin Hill or or Adam Prentice, you know, you've never actually played in it. And so it's still, you know, year one, there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve, right? Just for everyone. And I'm sure the coaches will do what they can to, you know, they're, you know, maybe they don't give them a hundred percent of everything this year. Maybe they do. It depends on, you know, a, what the players can handle, B, what they can actually perform, you know, to the best of their abilities. So, you know, I I think it changes it a little bit, you know, having that extra time in lieu of the the lack of a full spring practice, it does help them. But even the OTA style stuff is a little different, you know, I mean, you're not in pads, you're not, you know, it's a different element. So, they still need all the time that they can get. And I think with it being year one and with them still having some positional questions too, I still don't think you need, you know, anybody needs to set the bars super, super high at this point.
2: All right. There you go. Managing expectations. Well done, Chris. Uh, Wes, the other piece of scheduling news, not just for South Carolina's practice being adjusted, but somewhat surprisingly, the two opponents announced seem to follow absolutely no pattern at all. I, I just I don't know, maybe this was just me thinking it made too much sense, but it seemed like adding your rotating 2020-21 and 22 opponents into your schedule to make up the two conference games that the SEC was adding for this year, that just made too much sense. Uh, Instead, I couldn't even tell you what they did. I don't know, and I'm about to ask you, but South Carolina added Ole Miss, and Arkansas, which is weird because they were just at Ole Miss a couple of years ago. Uh, Do you have any idea? I've asked people. No one seems to have any idea where this came from. But by and large, when you look across the board, and I don't have it in front of me, but it seems like a pretty equal distribution um, in terms of the the two teams that are being added by and large. I I don't think a lot of people are too unhappy about it. However they did it, it, it seemed like it worked. Do you know how they did it?
1: Um, I,
3: you know, so there were, first of all, there were eight different models that were passed around from what I was told. So, um, and, and the call that was held that one day, you know, the day that we expected the schedule to actually be released and then it got delayed. Um, you know, apparently the call that was held between the conference members that day did not go super well and there was some pushback and there was some arguments, et cetera. But, you know, with that many models being presented, you know you could you could imagine that a lot of people were putting forth their own models, and not everybody was going to agree on them so so no surprise there um I know one of the ones that had been passed along was taking an opponent from a future schedule and then picking one at random and so it sort of seems like that's what this was, right because you know Auburn was on a future schedule, I believe next year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they were on the schedule. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were on the schedule next year. So I think they plucked that one, unless it was just random too. I mean, one person in the SEC told me, well, you know, we, we think South Carolina is going to play Auburn because they had not played each other in a while. It's been six years. Okay. I mean, so maybe that was it. But if you just look at it on the surface and nobody's told me the exact breakdown of here's exactly how we picked it, but they they plucked one, you know, from, from a, a very, you know, upcoming opponent. And so they did that with Auburn. And then the other one, it sort of seems like was at random because South Carolina not too long ago played Ole Miss at Ole Miss. I think that was what, 2018. Yeah. Guys, two years ago. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. By the way, I, I said Auburn and Ole Miss, right? I may have said Arkansas because I was expecting Carolina to play Auburn and Arkansas, but it is Auburn and yeah. Ole Miss officially. I think I said Arkansas. I need to go back and, and edit that out or uh, later if, if I said that earlier. Uh, Wes, that's a, that's a pretty good scenario for South Carolina though. Again, Auburn and, Arkansas would have been great for Carolina because it seems like a lot of Gamecock fans want to play Auburn just because they haven't played them that often. In fact, since joining the SEC, South Carolina played East Carolina more than Auburn. I may have mentioned that last podcast, too, but I'm just so tickled by that. Uh, but Ole Miss, also not expected to be a contender in the West, probably not as bad as Arkansas. But from our perspective, you know, that's an opportunity, not that we're going to get to go, not that they're going to be fans there necessarily, but uh, that's an opportunity for us to cover uh, Lane Kiffin and a rebuilding Ole Miss team, so that, uh, I think, becomes a winnable game for South Carolina, and Auburn, you know, remains incredibly difficult, but that's not a bad scenario.
1: Yeah, it is not. It could have been way worse. I mean, I was looking on Twitter. A lot of fans were um, fully anticipating South Carolina getting Auburn and Alabama added to the schedule, you know, just because (laughs) that, you know, that it was going to be a worst-case scenario, so yeah, I think you um, you know obviously Arkansas and Arkansas had been rumored at, at first, but um, that would have been a little bit easier. But but Ole Miss year one and, and even Auburn, I, I haven't really dove into uh, to these two programs right now yet. But even Auburn, I, I think lost quite a bit from last year, and, and that game's in Columbia. So uh, yeah, I think you have a, a winnable game added, and then a game that obviously will be difficult in Auburn, but it's not unwinnable. And, you know, an opportunity game. I, I think, and I, when I say that, I mean, that's a school South Carolina has actually never beaten in football. So whenever you have an opportunity to maybe do something you've never done before, that's always exciting. And um, there's been some, I would say, some very entertaining, even though they haven't played a ton, there's been some very entertaining games between South Carolina and Auburn in the last uh, decade or so. So, uh, yeah, I think – fans just like being able to see a team that they don't see their team play very often
2: it'll be the first time that Auburn has come to Williamsburg Stadium since 2011 right because 2014 was in Auburn
1: I believe that is right yeah
2: that's yeah Auburn was saying
1: that was the last um the last game that Steven Garcia started for South Carolina Yep. Yeah. oh
2: man Okay, well, that's, uh, that's crazy, but yeah, good that Carolina's going to finally get them back on the schedule. Uh, I guess the, the other two questions that remain, obviously one more pressing than the other, is when these games will be played, and again, as much as we were all excited to get confirmation of which teams the SEC schools were adding on Friday evening, and it was just like, all right, when are these going to be played? This has all been overshadowed by just a, a bigger question that we spent the first 40 minutes of this podcast talking about, so uh, as soon as we get that, I think the three of us can sort of go through the schedule because I mean, you can look at who South Carolina is playing and say, "Yeah, you know what? Like five and five would be good," but how exactly the schedule lines up will be a, a big part of it. If you have to open, if the rework schedule has you opening Auburn, Florida, Georgia, um, you know that that's gonna <laughs> that that's just gonna be a little bit different. So uh, hopefully it'll be next week, but but certainly you know in the next couple of weeks we will have a a fuller schedule breakdown conversation and sort of anticipation of what we think Carolina. Uh, might do in this new 10-game conference schedule. But before we get out of here, we're doing this whole podcast in reverse today. We do have a couple of recruiting tidbits to uh, to get to today. Uh, first of all, Wes, we'll stick with you on this. Uh, Ontario Brown made his announcement. I think it was last Wednesday, and we've uh, done this on Tuesday now mm-hmm. for the last couple of weeks, so we just missed it. Um, but Ontario Brown uh, committed to the Gamecocks for
1: 2021. Yeah, it was expected, but um, still a nice pickup for the Gamecocks. Someone that I would say, honestly, behind the scenes, they probably led throughout his recruitment. He was really one of the first running backs that Des Kitchens offered at South Carolina when he, you know, got the job and sort of just emerged as a, a target back then. I think that was May when he when he got the South town offer, and that was, it was the beginning of May. And he, uh, you know, sort of saw his recruitment take off a little bit after that. Some other schools hopped in with offers, but South Carolina was first. I think that went a long way with him. He's high on loyalty. And, um, you know, I, I would say back then I think we put out a list of about four or five guys and said there's a very strong chance that South Carolina will land two kids out of this list of five. And Ontario was on that list. So, you know, I, I think they've been in great shape. And he's a kid who has been under the radar a bit. Beach High School is in Savannah. They have not put out prospects. Really, at all, I would say in the last decade. So, uh, took took a while for him to be found, so to speak. But um, again, South Carolina likes him. He can, uh, you know, he's got the speed to make something happen. He's sort of got a low center of gravity, can break tackles, good in the passing game as well. And um, you know, I, I think to steal Chris's phrase, there's a, there's a lot to like about Ontario Brown.
2: And, Chris, you had a recruiting, uh, kind of a recruiting update, but you had a conversation with uh, Colton Gothier, who is a class of 2021 quarterback, who uh, I think Gamecock fans are really excited about, and you got the opportunity to sit down and talk with Colton. So y'all go read the uh, transcript, read the piece over on GamecockCentral.com, but give us a, a little tidbit, a little nugget, something that you enjoyed talking and maybe surprised you in your conversation with Colton.
3: Well, Colton is a re- he's a really unique kid. Um, he, he's, he's a really marketable type guy. Um, he's really, really personable. Um, he, he's not, you know, he's not super, super out there on social media, although he's fairly active on there, but this is a guy that, I mean, first of all, he's gotten bigger. That's one thing I noticed. I was talking to his father, Oliver, before the camp I was at this weekend. He's told me that he's gotten bigger and, and haven't seen Colton before. I think, I think that's right. He's about six, four now. He's leaned up a little bit, but he's still probably 215 pounds. He's telling me that he got stronger. Just a really unique kid, though. He's got a good personality. He plays guitar, plays electric guitar in his spare time, um, and is pretty good. There's a, there's a clip he put out on Twitter of him playing, I think, Mr. Brownstone. So uh, he, can, he can shred a little bit. And so uh, it, it just a unique guy. He's telling me that, you know, he likes to go to Lake Lanier and dive for golf balls and stuff like that. So, Just a really, really interesting kid, and I'll be, you know, this year, another little interesting tidbit is Hebron Christian, where he attends school. This camp was being held at his school. They've got a new offensive coordinator this year. It's Tyler Carlton, who was formerly a coach at Western Carolina, and he actually spent time under Chad Morris at Clemson, and so they're bringing sort of the Chad Morris offense to Hebron Christian this year, and a lot of people there are really excited about the potential of Colton put up putting up some pretty big numbers this year, but I'll be very interested to watch him this year, man. They have a showdown later this this year that I'm considering going to if the season happens like it's supposed to, where they're playing Prince Avenue Christian. That's Brock Vandergriff, who's a five-star quarterback committed to Georgia. Those guys know each other, so just a lot a lot of intrigue around around Colton this year. He's got a live arm. He's got good size. I would be really interested to see him this year. But I really enjoyed my conversation with him.
2: Do y'all uh do y'all look at a athlete that plays an instrument the same way you do an athlete that plays a different <laughs> sport just in terms of like exercising a different part of your brain? Um
3: I I don't know. I remember Evan Marzilli played the guitar and he was pretty good. So maybe, uh, maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know.
2: There's probably something to that. I don't know. You have to, have to do a, like a longer term study. Do do you know any other Gamecocks either commits or anyone on the team right now that notably plays an instrument?
1: I don't know. I I I remember, I know, uh, there, there's some guys that I know like getting into the, uh, recording studio there. at The, the, uh, the ops building. I Mm -hmm. think, um, Hitting Shiloh Sanders, um, I think Shiloh is one of the guys that's in there a lot. There's a few other guys that um, have some talent. But I, I do think, to your point, Pearson, not that you could really – it would be hard to quantify, but don't y'all think there's something to be said for, for like, being multi-talented and being able to process, um, you know, playing a musical instrument, is a, it is a different type of um, – processing in your brain i think but for a quarterback who has to process things on the fly um in you know in the middle of the game in any given mm-hmm. play i think there probably is something to be said for having that ability or that skill set um and the uh the determination that it takes to learn to play an instrument at a high level mm-hmm. um probably says something about your work ethic among other aspects of your life as well
2: well i don't know if y'all play instruments or i'm sure people listening to this play instruments but uh you know being able to sing and do whatever whether it's play piano play guitar is is like it it takes some getting used to it's something you certainly have to practice um just to to like disconnect your hands from what your face is doing so uh again i don't know i mean we're just kind of having fun with it at this point but you know maybe that's something that'll help we'll have to do a longer term study on that um but go read chris's conversation with colton goth here at gamecockcentral.com be a subscriber because holy cow uh, (laughs) I mean, suffice it to say, there is a lot being reported on right now. Wes and Chris and Colin, uh, all y'all do as good a job as anybody in the business. And as I'm looking right now on the side ticker, just 33 minutes ago from when I'm recording this, Colin has projected South Carolina's starting basketball lineup. He and I are going to be getting back into the hard foul as we get a little bit closer to the basketball season. Although, guys, uh, this time... Yeah, I guess this time next week I'll be recovering, but early next week I'm getting my wisdom teeth out finally like nine years after my dentist, it was like, hey, you need to get these out. I'm, I'm finally getting around to it. Have either of you gotten your wisdom teeth out? And do you have any advice? Because I am not looking forward to it and fully expecting this to be a miserable experience.
3: I have. I have. Um, I've got, yeah, it's not, I had all four.
0: Nice.
3: And, uh, I don't know about you, Wes. Maybe I'm a little bit more, uh. Not as tough, but, man, I had all four of mine, and it you know, everybody has a different experience. My teeth probably hurt for three weeks straight, oh. to be honest with you. Like, I, t- I had to take – I didn't want to take the, the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, not that they gave me either. any. They would have, I guess, but i I took ibuprofen around the clock for probably two or three weeks, so –
1: hope you have a much better experience.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, yeah, Wes. What was your experience like? <laughs> well, uh I I'll go with what Chris said there at the top. Man, honestly, it seems like everybody has a different experience because I know people that literally like nothing. You know, like they it just happens and two days later they're back 100%. So people, you know, situations where people have um you know, ha- had just an awful experience. So my, I was sort of in the middle. I will say um, I don't, you know, I mean, I mean, it's actual surgery. So you're, you're, you have anesthesia, you're put to sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been put to sleep any other time. And, and um, <laughs> I know we've gone super long, but I honestly, my the worst part of my experience is that I thought I was dying. Like I, cause I, they give you, at least once. this was like a decade ago, they give you uh you know gas like laughing gas, mm-hmm. and then they give you anesthesia and y'all i mean y'all know the sound of like of a heart meter, and you know it's like beep, 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 so oh. I'm sitting there, i'm all drugged like I'm drugged up. And they give me the, answer. they do the, like, countdown from 10 thing. Yeah. And, oh, or countdown from 100 <laughs> or whatever it is. And I hear, I don't even think I was on a heart monitor, but in my head, because I was so drugged up. Mm-hmm. I start hearing,
0: beep, 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 beep,
1: beep,
0: beep, 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 <laughs> And I'm like,
1: I'm dying. Ugh. I'm like, I'm dying. I'm like, I'm going out <laughs> right here. And it is a... I mean for honestly guys for about for about ten seconds I was like this is it like they've given me like I've had some reaction to this like like this is it. I'm going out at the dentist's office of all places. And then then honestly the craziest thing about it is that I went from dying to then a split second later I'm waking up and they're like, You're done. Mm. It's because that was the weird. Thing. It's not like sleeping where you have that sense of oh I've been asleep for eight hours. Mm-hmm. It's like no time to you has passed. Oh, it's just like, mm. it's like you're you're awake. I did, I hate
2: I hate even thinking about that. That that part is bothering me as much as anything because I have also my heart
1: my heart is actually kind of racing a little. Bit yeah right well, yeah I've, I've, I've never been
2: anesthetized that. before at least not all the way. You know I've had local anesthesia but I've never gone all the way under and I'm I'm kind of freaking out about it because. I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, I just lost you know two hours of my life, and I'm never going to get that back, and that that's going to bother me. But, yeah, I don't know what I'm more afraid of, like that part, which is definitely going to freak me out, the idea that I'm going to wake up and just be like, I, I don't know what the heck happened, or – uh, Chris, I only have three, but they're all impacted, so I imagine that's going to suck. I'm almost certainly going to get dry oh, sockets. Oh yeah,
1: you're screwed. And you're
2: screwed. my girlfriend, who is you know wonderful, and she has you know volunteered her time to to take me there because I you know, can't drive there, can't drive. Well, I guess I could drive there, but certainly can't drive back. And I'm just, I don't want her to take videos of me like drooling all over myself and and being an idiot. So I'm just, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping my friend Kelly, uh, she's made two appearances in this podcast now, but she got her wisdom teeth out. I don't know, maybe our senior year of high school, something like that. And uh, I guess it was right after Christmas because she had gotten the uh, like a box set of Monty Python's Flying Circus. I don't know if you ever watched that. Uh, But I had gotten a bunch of ice cream, and we were going to go over there and watch Monty Python's Flying Circus while she was drooling all over herself on the couch. And I get there. She had had her wisdom teeth surgery that morning, and she was just like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, you got some ice cream? I'm like, wait, aren't you supposed to be like drooling all over yourself right now? She's like, yeah, I don't know. I feel fine. So I'm crossing my fingers that that's going to be the case. But also, I think that's why they tell you to do it then and not wait until you're Twenty-seven. I don't know why my body should right. be better recovering now, right? No, no, no. no dude, dude, later.
3: Worried. No, it, it's so I had four impacted, and maybe that's why why mom was so bad. I avoided dry sockets. I tried to take care of myself as well as I could, and and the doctor that I had was really good. He's like, "Look, man, if you get dry sockets, you just come back, and you you just got to come back as soon as possible, mm-hmm. and basically we'll fix it." But yeah, I mean, you do wake up really bewildered, like no time elapses. It seems like, and you're up. And so my wife, you know, we had to go in CVS to get my prescription right after. So I'm, you're wearing this like helmet thing almost. Um, that's got like an ice pack. Mm. And so I've got this helmet type of thing on. I've got (laughs) gauze absolutely stuffed in my mouth where it looks like I've got like the biggest (laughs) dip ever in or something (laughs) and, and walking around CVS, and I'm like, like, we always go in the CVS near the house and like, you know, we sort of know when the employee's there. So I'm like, hey, you know, and stuff. My wife's videoing me the whole time, for blackmail purposes, I guess, or something. And uh, it, it was really a mess. But um, yeah, it was a man. It was quite an experience, and I'm I'm glad it's over. But dude, I've had wisdom since my 30s. The day I turned 30, my body started breaking. <laughs> and uh, Wes and I talk about this because we're old now. And mm-hmm. I've had wisdom teeth, and I've had a hernia surgery, and they both. Mm pretty much suck
2: to the highest. So, Jeez. All right. Well, uh, so you
3: got that to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. yeah not you exactly a of confidence, but I've done this to myself. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 So anyway, we'll be back at some point next week. It long might be a, a little bit later if it takes me a while to recover. <laughs> and I also might be super drugged up. So it might be the funniest episode of another Carolina podcast y'all have ever heard, but I guess this time next week I'm, I will not have wisdom teeth. So fingers crossed that that goes well. And then I don't get dry sockets. Uh, but in the meantime, be tuned in to GamecockCentral.com for all the updates you get from the SEC The world of college football, whether it's recruiting, actual football news from South Carolina, uh, no better place to get all your information. And, uh, of course, be on the lookout for more of these podcasts and the return of the hard foul at some point next week once I recover. And uh, if you don't want to necessarily be on the lookout, just subscribe to the podcast, and it'll pop in your feed automatically. You don't even have to worry about it, and it's right there. You can also rate and review the podcast. That really helps us. We really appreciate it. And uh, I guess with that, for Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you at some point next week.